walked out of that room and I walked out of my career, my international career. It's widely believed that this is the phone that has changed phones forever. Turning to our top story this morning, and that is confirmation of the first case of COVID-19 in the Republic. Let's get Brexit done. Returning to our special series, which is exploring News Talk's 20 most influential moments of the past two decades. Every day across the station, we're looking back at influential moments chosen by you, uh, the listener. Today, we're looking back on the impact that Brexit has had and continues to have both here and elsewhere since, of course, Britain voted to leave the EU on June 23rd, 2016. The referendum results sent shockwaves to the Irish community living in Britain. And we are joined now by Richard Logue, originally from Dublin, but a member of the London Irish community in Mill Hill in North London. Richard, is it fair to say Brexit has changed your perception of the country you've lived in for, for more than 20 years? Hello, good morning. Yes, morning. it certainly has. Um, I think one of the, the key issues is that certainly for many of us in the years leading up to the Brexit referendum, I think we thought that a lot of the old anti-Irish racism had gone away and it was a thing of the past. And that certainly was the case, although there has been a lot of concerns within the Irish community here in Britain regarding the resurgence of anti-Irish racism. The Irish community and Brexit uh, in in Britain were they unanimously against the idea of Brexit? I would say far from it. Um, like mm. a lot of the communities in Britain, they were quite divided in many respects. Um, and I'll give you a specific example. Um, I was part of a campaign group called Irish for Europe in the lead up to the referendum itself, and we went down as a campaign group down to the GA grounds in Ryslip um, to a major All-Ireland match prior to the referendum. Mm. Went out there, the group went leafleting, and we actually found quite a mixed reaction. Um, largely, it has to be said, from a lot of older Irish people who were determined to see Brexit through. And this would have been a generation um, who would have themselves encountered an awful lot of anti-Irish racism, I would have said, in the 50s and 60s and into the 70s. But yet, like with a lot of Brexit supporters, it seems to me at least that um, Brexit is almost more of a less of a political philosophy and almost more like a religious belief and any amount of reasoning. And I would have done quite a bit of canvassing myself as part of that referendum campaign. And you would have thought with the issues on around the border with the North, for instance, and trade between mm. Ireland and Britain, that they would have supported what a lot of the Irish you know, would have wanted to see, which is basically no Brexit. Uh, uh, Richard, just finally and, and just briefly, personally, has it, has it had an impact on, on you, uh, the fact that uh, Britain is or the UK is no longer a member of the EU? Has it impacted on your life, do you think? Yes, it has. Um, so my family now live in Donegal and... We would have been certainly up until you know this whole Brexit business. Uh, you know, we've had an open border for over twenty years. Um, the old, I think, a lot of the fears of the old borders coming back, and certainly in terms of you know friendships and all of that has have definitely been affected with people. You know, who would have been strong Brexit supporters. It has 
it has caused I think it has caused a rift with people unfortunately Okay, that is unfortunate. Uh, Richard, good to talk to you. Richard Logue there, originally from Dublin, now a member of the London Irish uh, community. There'll be lots more coverage of Brexit throughout the day and News Talk as we continue to explore the 20 most influential moments in the past two decades as chosen by our listeners. We're going to go back to our special series now, exploring News Talk's 20 most influential moments of the last two decades. Every day across the station, we're looking back at an influential moment chosen by you, our listeners. And this one is not a great surprise that it's on the list. We're looking back at the impact of Brexit since the British electorate voted to leave the European Union by narrow majority on on June 23rd, 2016. Former Brexit Party MEP for London and chair of the Brexit Watch, Ben Habib. Ben, good morning. Um, We are... Really barreling towards Brexit, uh, 30 days out, uh, no deal in place yet, um, still worried about the nationality of fish. Um, was it worth it? <laughs> was Brexit worth it? Well, I don't, I, I don't know whether we're going to get Brexit yet. I mean, we've, we've really yet to get Brexit, haven't we? We don't know what the nature of the future relationship is. And if you were to read the withdrawal agreement and the associated political declaration, actually, there's a good chance we may not get what people like me would define as Brexit. So what is Brexit then, in your opinion? So Brexit is, I think, very uh, clearly defined by the prime minister on page five of the Conservative Party manifesto from last year's general election, which states that the entire United Kingdom will leave the European Union single market customs union as a whole United Kingdom, that we will take back control of our laws, our borders, um, our cash, and indeed our fish, as you so eruditely put it earlier in this uh, conversation. Yes, and in that, uh, we'll, we'll come to that in just a minute, but the entire process... Um, and the way it has happened, because it has happened a certain way, do you believe now, 30 days out, that Britain is in a stronger place globally than it was on June 22nd, 2016, before people went to the polls? Well, I think that the United Kingdom right now is quite a weakened nation. We have survived the constitutional crisis that followed that vote on the 23rd of June 2016, uh, we've, you know, we, we, we've come through that, but we've now got a government, I think, leaving Brexit aside for a moment, that seems entirely devoid of um, sort of cap- managerial capability. Um, I think Theresa May for Brexit was an awful prime minister, but I, I, I suspect Boris Johnson simply hasn't got the wherewithal to govern. And I look at our government in utter despair at the moment. So, I mean, if your question is a Brexit-related one, um, I'm not sure my answer uh, really makes any difference, to, to, you know, on the Brexit well, issue. I think we've just well, got it, a whole it, well, it, it does, because, um, I mean, speaking to you now, Ben, um, it yeah. does sound... I, I get the sense that, for you, the sunlit uplands are still above the horizon, that that the glorious Brexit that you anticipate is just too far away, and it's always someone else's fault that you haven't got there. <laughs> Not at all, no. I mean, I think, without a shadow of a doubt, and I, I mean, do disagree if you disagree, but... The whole Brexit debate was hijacked immediately after the referendum. And it became this issue of can the United Kingdom even survive as an independent country? 
which if you were to pause and reflect on it for a minute, it's a wholly improbable, ridiculous suggestion. You know, we're the fifth largest economy in the world, 10 largest armed forces, um, a permanent member of the UN Security Council, um, a member of the G7. You know, we are a very powerful uh, country. There's no chance that we mm. can't survive on our own. But you had an sort of you had an oven ready you had an oven ready deal. Everybody was going to be rushing to do deals with you. Your car industry, for example, would not seek to leave, and everybody would think that you're great because, well, you've got a friend yeah. in in in, Do in Donald Trump in the White House who'd rush to do a deal with you. It hasn't gone to plan. Oh no, it certainly hasn't gone to plan. I, absolutely, I couldn't agree more. I think it's been an utter disaster, and that oven ready deal, which the Prime Minister described as fantastic last year is a rotten deal for the United Kingdom. There's not a single positive thing for the UK in all 572 pages. Um, but, you know, talking about Donald Trump and international trade deals, far too much has been made of international trade deals. People don't trade because you have a trade deal. People trade because you've got a product you wish to sell and someone else wishes to buy it. Yes, and, but there are tariffs. You know, there are tariffs. That's that's not how the yeah. world works. There are tariffs in, if you don't have a deal, and and that that's what the impact exactly, of Brexit is going to be. That is that is exactly how the world works. You buy and sell what you want to buy and sell. Having tariff-free trade and declaration-free trade makes that easier, but it doesn't get over the need to have a product which other people wish to buy. And the problem the UK faces, actually, is thirty years of poor industrial policy poor commercial oh, policy oh, see now 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 it's it's 30 years the government made a bags of it for 30 years this government is making a bags it's all someone else's fault ben i'm not, I'm not saying it's someone else you know while we were a member of the single market we were running a massive trade deficit with the european union about 100 okay. billion a year which kept uh, amongst other things sterling in perm under permanent pressure um, no, being a member of the can, single I, can, market. can I give one final point? Because I'm, I'm conscious that we could actually have this argument for about five hours, but I'm well, conscious no that the news is at ten o'clock. You and I agree on a lot of things. Um, no, we don't. I, I, no, um, we don't. What do we disagree what, what, on? What, 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 everything. What do you say to the British farmers who currently export 80,000 tonnes of potatoes to Ireland for our chippers? Um, and we, we apparently, we love British chips. I didn't realise this until we were told it during the week. Um, who now cannot and will not be able to sell those potatoes to us, not even in the event of a no deal, but if there is some kind of deal in place, it's going to become harder to move stuff across the Irish Sea. What do you say to those British farmers in particular, given that you think tariffs aren't important and Brexit is a great thing? I didn't say tariffs aren't important. I said you buy and sell product based on whether you want you have a product that people wish to buy. Well, we, we want to buy um, your chips and we can't. The, 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 our farming sector, by the way, are, are, are voted for Brexit, um, and they're going to get a good transitionary arrangement with our own government, receiving the kinds of trading, uh, trading, trading, trading with yourselves doesn't count. We want to buy your spuds, and we can't buy them. What do you say to you those? We'll be able to buy them. You might just no, have to won't. pay a little more for them. You just we don't have want to, to pay do a little that. more for them. Well, well then, go and buy your spuds somewhere else if you don't want to pay for good quality British spuds. The best in the world, no doubt. Buy yes, them somewhere and, and, else. Okay, Ben, and I think you've just summed up my entire argument for me in one fell swoop. Former Brexit Party MEP and uh, London Chair of Brexit Watch, Ben Habib.
And here on News Talk, we are continuing our look back at the 20 most influential moments of the past 20 years as voted by you, the listeners. And today we're looking at Brexit. Of course, on the 23rd of June 2016, the UK held a referendum on its membership of the EU and uh, that groundbreaking decision that followed to pull away from Europe in a move most commonly known as Brexit. Jean is on the line and joins us here on Lunchtime Live. Jean, you were in London, but you're planning on returning home to Dublin. Have the Brexit developments impacted uh, your decision to move back? Hi Andrea, nice to talk to you. you um, no, I can't honestly say that it has impacted our decision. We were always going to be coming back to Dublin anyway. We're, we're, we're from Dublin and uh, we're over here for my husband's job. So we were always coming back anyway. Um, and my understanding would be that the you know the common travel area that exists between Ireland and the UK is sort of unaffected by Brexit. So it doesn't have a massive impact in, in that sense. Um, but having said that, we are sort of bracing ourselves for maybe some unforeseen um, impact of Brexit, uh, particularly if there's no deal between now and the end of the year. I would, I, I'd expect that there'll be some little annoyances or, or whatever associated with the no deal Brexit uh, come the 1st of January, um, things that we wouldn't even have thought of. And I think that's really been a, free, a feature of the whole um Brexit experiment mm. today is that there's all these things that have just cropped up since the vote um, that maybe people didn't think of at the time. Um, minor enough things, but kind of frustrating nonetheless. Um, and I think, you know, there's a lot of things that weren't really known at the time or certainly weren't known by the vast majority of the voting public. Mm. Um, and I, I often wonder, you know, four years on with, with all that we know now about Brexit and what it's it's likely to mean for people um, you know do they all still feel the same about us or, or do they feel differently but were I guess you, we won't know that <laughs> Yeah for for, uh, for quite a while um, Were you in the UK Jean in June 2016 when the referendum no. happened? No we weren't we were uh, we were in Ireland at the time so I think like like most other people in Ireland we were pretty shocked um, about the, the outcome and uh, I suppose that's been another key feature of it as well the, the big shock at the time and um, I think we I mean we have friends and family in the UK um, but they're mostly in London um, and I think you know London overwhelmingly voted to, to remain um, so we probably weren't aware of the you know large cohort of people over here who maybe weren't as uh, into Project Europe mm. as, uh, as the rest of us were but it certainly did come as a big shock at the time um, so yeah, I mean, it's uh, I, like I said. I think it would be interesting to to rerun the experiment again and see do they still feel the same. Yeah. But um, keep keep, was, keep was rerunning it until you get the result you want. Um, I'm going well, to bring the Irish way of doing it. I'm going to uh, I'm going to bring Sheila in as well, Jean. Sheila um, is originally from Dundalk, but living in uh, in Suffolk at the minute. Um, we're looking back at Brexit and, and why it's one of the most twenty influential moments, Sheila, of the past twenty years. What's your thoughts on this? Oh, it is certainly probably one of the biggest political moments in in our life. But um, I was really interested, you know, in in, in what the the other caller said. I I wasn't remotely surprised. I although I live in rural Suffolk, I I work I have worked in London for years and commuted in and out every day. I wasn't remotely surprised surprised at the result. Really I not. thought that was um, that was a given. Um, and I remember having a very very heated. Uh, but very good-natured conversation with Susan Hayes, the positive economist, at an Irish International Business Network event in London the year before. And I told her I would have put my life savings on the fact that the UK would leave. 
um, the EU. And that was very simply because the politicians didn't listen. Now, it is true that lots of things are going to come up that haven't been thought of before, but mm. that will happen in any of these yeah. circumstances. Oh, yeah. You deal with them. But the mood was there. People were fed up with having their lives run from bureaucrats in Strasbourg and Brussels. Right. It was, it was definite. What's the feeling like at the moment um, in, in where you are, Sheila, as you said, in, in, rural, um, in rural Suffolk? Is, you know, is there a sense that it was the right decision? Um, is there any level of anxiety but, around what's going to happen towards the end of this year? There is no anxiety. And going back to your previous caller, I think if we ran the referendum again, it would be even more decisive. But I will tell you from my own perspective and from the community I live and work in, our biggest concern is how we're going to transport horses from the UK to France. Um, because that is, that is one area where that has to be sorted out. I work in, in equine areas, you know. Okay. We have racehorses, and it's, it's, it's probably one of the biggest challenges. But the thing is, there's always been a tripartite agreement, and Ireland, the UK, and France will sort that out. It might not be sorted on the 1st of January, but it will get okay. sorted. You're originally from Dundalk. How, how long are you in England, um, Sheila? A long time. Yeah, you're there a good... Heading on for 40 years. Right. No, no plans to, to return to Dundalk then? Well, you see, that, um, not at all. You know, the thing is, um, before the pandemic, I went home every month. I went home twice a month. I okay. mean, you know, the, the, the travel is so good. So I do feel really, really separated from home. I feel more separated than I ever did, but that's because of the pandemic. I suppose the same question to yourself, Jean. Um, I know you're hoping to to come back anyway to Ireland, but just for instance, with with COVID and and Christmas, what are your plans? Um, we're actually planning to to travel home for Christmas, so we're kind of in the process of sorting out logistics at the moment, because um, obviously we'll have to have to isolate when we get back. Um, but yeah, I mean, same as Sheila, the issue, the big issue in terms of barriers to travel at the moment is, is much more about COVID rather than Brexit. Mm. Um, but it's yeah, nearly are, like one story to... replaced the other, really, isn't it? We were all Brexit, it's Brexit, true. Brexit before COVID. Yeah, I do remember a time, um, I think it was maybe throughout 2018 and a bit of 2019, when every single day all we heard about on, on the radio was Brexit and how the negotiations were going. And I remember at the time thinking, oh, I can't wait for a day when we are not just consumed by Brexit and now I'm I'm saying Long I, for the I'd day. love to just talk about Brexit and not COVID. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I think uh, I think we can all agree on that. Jean in London and Sheila in uh, Suffolk, thanks for joining us here on Lunchtime Live this afternoon. We will be continuing our conversation on Brexit and the influence it's had and why it's one of the 20 most influential moments of the past two decades. And you can check out the uh, newstalk.com uh, slash 20 moments for more details. And you can also subscribe to the um, special podcast Podcast, which is really just gathering all of the content into one daily digest on the News Talk app. Uh, as you know, we have been exploring the 20 most influential issues of the past 20 years. And today we're looking at the impact of Brexit. News Talk's Henry McKean went to ask shoppers in Blanchardstown how or if Brexit has affected their lives. We can now say the decision taken in 1975 by this country to join the common market has been reversed by this referendum uh, to leave the EU. And that's the uh, result of this referendum, which has been 
preceded by weeks and months of argument and dispute and all the rest of it, the British people have spoken and the answer is, we're out. Jonathan Dimbleby on the BBC there announcing that Britain had voted to leave the EU. Hard border. We need a hard border. We're part of England. We're not Irish, and the Irish should have nothing to do with us. So you feel like you're part of England, and this oh, is yes, part we're, of Britain. We're British. We are. We're, we're British. British. We're British. Northern yeah. Ireland, but we're British, and we want that border away because if we don't get that away, they're going to travel up to the south. All the foreigners travel into here, right over to England, and. Things will get just as bad for us. Make be great for them and staying there, but it'll get bad so for us. So you're saying checkpoints or what? Yes, you have to be yeah, checkpoints. Yeah, of course. The way it was gonna, before years ago. People are going to come over the border. There'll be no checks. They can bring anything across. Drive straight over to London, England, Scotland, or Wales. So you feel kind of vulnerable if there's no we border? We are vulnerable, Of yes. course we do. Very of course vulnerable. we do. And not only that, Ireland's Ireland. What the hell are they on about the border for? We're not part of them. And they should be told to go and fix their own country. But what about people who commute between the two sides? Well, they can still commute. But they'll have to stop. Oh, my God. Well, what, what, about, what, about stop. Spain? what about Spain? Big deal. Spain and Gibraltar, they have to stop. They do. Yeah. yeah. In Mexico and United States. Yes, yes, all them countries, Can you all Canada. have to stop. You can't have your cake and eat it. They've got everything else. For God's sakes, let us have our border. So you want the border? We want yes. the border. You want a hard border? I would say 90% of the people on this road would want the border. But what about trade? What about peace? What about what? the Good Friday Well, agreement? how would that stop the peace? In the last four years, I visited Jaywood in Essex, which had the largest Brexit vote in the whole of the UK at 70% to leave. How did you vote yourself um, in the referendum? I didn't vote at all because uh, I don't vote because they're both the same. We meet each other, they all do the same thing, they help other, other people out. Who are the same? Uh, Labour, Brexit, um, Scottish, whatever, uh, Liberal. So you just don't vote? No, I just don't vote. Well, I think the sooner we get out, the better. People are, are fed up with uh, being uh, dictated to from Brussels. I mean, it's totally undemocratic. People uh, are still angry that we voted to come out because they're, they're misguided. They, they think that we're turning our backs on Europe, we're not. We're turning our backs on the people who are running Europe. And these people are not elected, they are appointed. My main concern is the EU army. I don't know what Brexit is. Brexit. What's that? It's uh, basically a word to describe the UK uh, wanting to and leaving the EU. I don't know, I don't know anything about that, no. So. Is, is this where they left? And when we take Ireland uh, and the border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, What's your view on that? Should it be soft? Should it be hard? Should soft. it be open? Yes, yeah, soft. I don't understand. Yeah. Take it where? When the, the borders. What are they doing to them? No, Katie, they're not doing nothing. I don't know, mate, sorry. I voted quite definitely to leave the European Union. I object quite strongly to the way that our government in this country is being run by bureaucrats in Brussels. Uh, I don't think it's democratic. Immigration is taking place not only in the UK, but all the way across the, the European Union. We cannot afford to put up with such an increase in our population without some restriction. I have many friends in Ireland. You do? I like the people. 
I like the country. I like the music. We have managed to get together, having been enemies in 1922, and we have managed to survive without too much trouble with a relatively easy border system. The troubles were unfortunate, past that now, and what we should be looking for is the flexibility between the UK and the Republic of Ireland to continue the good work that's done between those two countries. When we take Leo Radcar, the Irish Taoiseach, how do you think he's handled negotiations? It's a bit unfortunate. He's a new boy on the block when this major issue has come up. Flexing his muscles, as any politician would do. I think he's taken an unfortunate stand. I think he would have done well to listen to uh, more reasonable people, people on the ground. He is doing a bit of posturing. And the European Union bureaucrats are, in fact, fostering that. Do you think that the UK will still leave, even if they get a bad deal? I think you're trying to put words in my mouth there, Henry. Well, answer a bad deal, a bad deal, by definition, should not be accepted. We should walk away, quite definitely. Politics is the art of the possible. And in politics, anything is possible. You're 15 years of age. When Brexit happened, you were just 11. Do you think it will affect your future? I think it'll definitely affect my future in some way or form. Like, it's, it's quite honestly, I think it's quite unclear how, in fact, myself, seeing as I have family in England, I don't know how that'll differ me travelling over or how that will go. I mean, I have an English and Irish passport, so maybe it won't affect me too much. Brexit is about the backstop, where you have to be stopped um, against the border and that there's no physical border, but the soldiers will, like, interview you. Well, not interview, but they have guns maybe so they got outvoted to like leave the european union so they want to stay but now theresa may say no they're going to leave anyway and how do you feel about it um i think that um northern ireland should get a say in because it's like their country so like and people think oh why do they bother like thinking about oh why shouldn't we have a hard border but like it's where you're living so like say if you might live in england but you might not really give a thought to some people like having to cross the border like because some people cross border just again to work every day well a no deal brexit means that they'll leave the eu with no relationship with them if i wanted to go to Donegal for the weekend, I might have to bring my passport. On the day of the vote in 2016, I visited Newry and asked people how they plan to vote. What about you? I haven't made my mind up yet. I'm here in the heart of Newry, a border town right beside Dundalk, and I'm outside a polling station. It's brisk. Madam, you haven't voted yet. You haven't made up your mind. Which way are you swaying, do you think? Well, out. Is Brexit one of the greatest moments over the last 20 years? Yes. Yes, really, yes. Yeah. It, it really was. No, I don't think so. You don't think, think so? No. It's like if they put a bar down in, that's how it'll affect the Would Irish. Would you like going to the north? I would at Christmas time yeah. go up a lot. You like to do a bit of shopping? Yeah, Christmas yeah. shopping. Christmas the tax has all the dopes yeah. there. We all go up to north at Christmas. And, and it is about a third cheaper. Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah. it is. And Even with the fuel tank. Yeah, Even, yeah, yeah it's, it that's is. it. You know what I mean? It's, it's going back. If you go up to north now when Brexit comes in, comes in it's bringing the borders back. That's only bringing the, That's going backwards instead of going forwards. Wow. And yeah. Were you surprised that Britain decided to leave the EU? Or could you see the writing on the wall? No, I was glad they left. I don't want I don't want Ireland to be part of the EU. Really? No. Why not? I why? want Ireland to be back as an independent. But country. we are still 
independence. Now we're not. We have loads of EU rules regulating our country now. But the now. EU gave us so much money. Um, we owe them so much money. Yeah, but, yeah, but we're going to have to repay it back. Pay that back. Did you know what I mean? So look, look at they the They didn't give that to us for free. It's a bit of a shock to the Irish people at the moment, I think, because uh, we all expected a smooth transition. And, and the way the British government now are behaving, like, there's going to be problems. Prices will shoot up. Was it one of the greatest moments in the last 20 years when Britain voted to leave the EU? Yes. What I find extraordinary is the role of the Taoiseach in all of this. Yeah, I really do find this amazing because... Well, he's he, just looking after the Republic of Ireland. Well, no, he's not. You see, that's the point. That's the point. What he's done by playing hardball in the way that he has is to risk a no-deal Brexit, which from an Irish perspective doesn't make any sense. He should have been one of the people from the start saying, hey, let's come to a good grown-up deal. And he hasn't done that. Will Theresa May, will she resign? Do you think that could happen? I could don't Boris see... Johnson ever be... Do, do, you know, do you know, I don't see any circumstances in which that woman ever resigns. I mean, I, I disagree with this deal. I disagree with her politics, but I have to say this for her. She has got stickability. Now, here on The Hard Shoulder, we're going to continue our special series exploring the 20 most influential moments of the 20th century thus far as voted on and decided by you, the News Talk listeners. So far, we've had 9-11, we've had boom and bust, we've had various different things. Today, we're talking about this. The total number of votes cast in favour of Remain was 16,141,241. The total number of votes cast in favour of leave was 17,472. Good morning, everybody. The sun has risen on an independent, united kingdom. And just look at it, even the weather's improved. There's no point in in hiding it. Um, You know, for me, this is a nice, this is a very, very sad day. And the most precious thing this country has given our continent is the idea of parliamentary democracy. Yesterday, I believe the British people have spoken up for democracy. I will do everything I can as Prime Minister to steady the ship over the coming weeks and months but I do not think it would be right for me to try to be the captain that steers our country to its next destination. This is not a decision I've taken lightly, but I do believe it's in the national interest to have a period of stability and then the new leadership required. There is no need for a precise timetable today, but in my view, we should aim to have a new prime minister in place by the start of the Conservative Party conference in October. Yes, of course, we're talking about Brexit. What a great little montage. Uh, James O'Brien, LBC broadcaster and author. Did you feel a deep stirring of national pride there, James? 
Oh, man, a little bit of sick came out when I heard Farage's <laughs> voice, Kieran. I've got to be honest with you. We, 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 it was a toss-up between Real Britannia or Jerusalem in the background. We thought Jerusalem was a little over the top. Well, I mean, at least William Blake knew what he was talking about. <laughs> I think Real Britannia is, is... Britannia waves the rules these days. That seems to be the anthem for the next generation. Uh, the, the, the reason we're talking about this is because we've asked our listeners to get in touch. And obviously Brexit came up as one of the, 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 the most influential moments of the last 20 years. So, look, let's yes. talk about that moment that we started with there and the returning officer, as we call them here, uh, calling out the results. What well, was there? Was there a point during the campaign? Because the perceived wisdom right through the campaign and even that night when it was on a knife edge was that that vote remain would would swing it you know that 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 they would just nudge it that you know sense would be seen in the end was there a point in the campaign where you began to question that perceived wisdom yeah about a week or two out actually when it was the, the continuing absence of any really cogent response to what was clearly untrue rhetoric coming out of the leave campaign and the and you know the, the the fact that the the bagging of the bus as it were and the uh, the proof wasn't being believed it was it was it was just that sense that's obviously become much easier to explain subsequently but this idea that people had chosen what they wanted to believe and they hadn't really based it on anything other than their feelings so yeah and, and my callers as well can continue to tell me things that just weren't true and and I couldn't get through to them so I did. I did start fearing, probably a, a week and a half out, that things were um, much, much closer than a lot of people believed, and, and probably going in the wrong direction. Do you know the funniest thing now is that, having written about it and, and spent four years dealing with the fallout and, and looking at how the victory was achieved, it's mm. a miracle it was so close. Actually, if if, if you think about the power of that false opinion versus that boring evidence-based fact and about eighty percent of the of the English print media was was four square behind it. Murdoch wanted it. The Barclay brothers wanted it. The owner of the Daily Mail wanted it. Um, it's it's a miracle. Remain got so close. I would say yeah. now, but yeah, I, I wasn't shocked on that morning. Heartbroken. Well, sad, but not shocked. You mentioned the print media. Take a quick listen. This is yourself talking about the print media a couple of years ago. EC regulations to ban playgrounds, Daily Express. Rolling acres outlawed by Brussels, Daily Telegraph. EU to scrap British exams, Sunday Express. Obscure EU law halting the sale of English oak seeds, Mail on Sunday. EU may try to ban sweet and toy ads, The Times. EU to tell British farmers what they can grow, Daily Mail. EU bans boozing, Daily Star. Light ale to be forced to change its name by Eurocrats, Daily Mail. EU fanatics to be forced to sing dire anthem about about EU motherland, the sun. Yeah, those were some of the headlines from a few years ago, uh, James, I heard jogging the memory there. And look, (laughs) awful and all as that was, at least it would be something if it was in the past. But I read a headline yesterday in the Daily Mail about how new EU laws are preventing Brits from enjoying their holiday homes abroad, which is nonsense. (laughs) I was reading it here in studio during an ad break and I thought, these are not new EU rules. It's still happening, isn't it? It is. I mean, that's a particularly uh, troubling tale, isn't it? Because it talks about furious expats. And, and it, there are two things, actually, that come off the back of that story that I think are really helpful in understanding the bigger picture. The first, as you say, is that these rules are not new. And um, the explanations that were offered up 
prior to the referendum were largely dismissed as Project Fear. Or, and this was the great triumph mm. of Dominic Cummings and, and his, his colleagues, was to pretty much describe every attempt to, to, to drag things at least a little bit back towards reality. It was all scaremongering and fear, and it was sold as this wonderful thing. But there's more to it than that. And we've seen it, I think, with coronavirus as well. There is this post-imperial belief that we are somehow different simply because we are English. And obviously, with a name like O'Brien, I'm using the we advisedly here. But this notion of English exceptionalism, the more you look at what's happening now in negotiations and and what's what's happening in the House of Commons today on the vote for the tears, there is this sense that somehow the laws of gravity, the laws of geography, the laws of virology, the laws of trade um, don't quite apply to us because, you know, Britannia rules the waves in the way that they apply to every other country in the world. And, and I'm afraid, if anything, since 2016, there's, there's probably been an inflation of that delusion as opposed to a, a dilution of it. And, right. and, you know, those of us who are fans of reality you have to hope that come next year when it all begins to bite we might step back from this uh sort of fetishization of of england but uh, the early signs aren't great i've yeah. got to be honest with you well, well let's talk about where it might go from next year and changing attitudes and let me just play just another quick clip of of a, of a caller to your show for some reason go on, go on. i thought we were better off well clearly i was wrong well, don't beat yourself up, mate. Listen to all the people that told you we would be. I've, I've spent the whole morning telling they, they've been whispering in your ear, not well, just for two and a half years, for 30 years. I was wrong. I am so sorry. Oh, Bill, mate, come on. <laughs> what have I done to my country? Yeah, that was particularly sad, Bill, wow. speaking to you, James. And, and, and I know you have other callers. I heard one on your show last week. It just kind of, I think you were talking about vaccines and threw in <laughs> that they regretted how they voted. Uh, she did in, in Brexit. But where, where does this play? Like, are there enough bills? Because if it does begin to bite, I assume the government can hose down the economy with money for a certain amount of time if borrowing is cheap. But eventually it will bite. And it's difficult from this side of the pond to imagine a Gove or a Johnson or a Farage or a Banks or anyone else leading this kind of national period of introspection and regret. Like, where do they turn when things turn bad? It's a great question. I just mentioned briefly that we did check up on Bill after the show and, and, and make sure he was OK, because he was clearly mm. he was clearly suffering on that on that day. But this is the problem. I don't have a pat answer to your question, because. Nothing can change until the fundamental admission that there was nothing available that was better than what we had is made. And and who is going to make that ambition? So the problem they've got at the moment, you mentioned Michael Gove, he's tasked this week with running around the TV and radio studios trying to explain that you should trust the chief medical advisor more than you trust your auntie Doris's Facebook page. But he's spent the previous five years telling everybody that they should trust Jacob Rees-Mogg's grasp of international finance more than they should trust the governor enough, of the bank. Enough of, of experts and all that. Well, exactly. And you're dead right to pick on the personnel because the cabinet, the conservative cabinet, consists entirely of, of, of sycophants and, and yes, men and women who are there solely because of their failure stroke refusal to, to, to tell the truth last year. And, and it doesn't mean that the European Union is perfect or the European Union is no. infallible or the European Union is faultless. But, but membership of it is clearly, for, for a country like the UK or like Ireland, it's clearly better than anything else that is, that is currently available. And, and 
we're still, I, I mean, my big fear, uh, and I, I did get a bit obsessed with it as after the result came in, because all of the stuff that people had voted for slowly fell away until eventually all that was left was the discomfort of people. You know, you, you lost, get over it. Yeah. I, I'm, I, I love your liberal tears. All they had left, these so-called winners, was the discomfort of the losers who actually understood what the winners had voted for while the winners didn't. And my <laughs> big, big fear for, the, for three years was that if we didn't hold them to account, if we didn't actually get the truth established, then two things would happen. Number one, we, we'd reach the end of the negotiating period still in a, in, a, in a weird state of denial with fish still being fetishized, and, and here we are. But number two, and much more crucially and, 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 and scarily, is that the people responsible for the for the deceptions and the embellishments and the exaggerations back in 2016, if they're not held yeah. to account for what they did then, what will they end up in charge of next? And obviously, mm. I had no clue there was a pandemic on the horizon. But look who's in charge of everything in the yeah. UK at the moment. It's it's the worst imaginable people. Well, it's an, your new book, How Not to Be Wrong, is in all good bookshops now. And if people are going to buy a book this Christmas, shop local. That is the, the message here. James, always a pleasure to speak to you. James O'Brien, LBC broadcaster and author. 